Blog Talk Radio. number one source for knowledge in the information age high frequency radio network
like committing a crime Get a lot for that, I won't snitch, I ain't dropping a dime I'm a self-made hustler, top of the line I'm representing
I would like to welcome you to another episode of the Foundation here on High Frequency Radio Network. This is the Foundation, and we are High Frequencies, where we understand incorrect information incorrectly applied can get you hurt. Correct information incorrectly applied can get you hurt. So as always, we are looking to correctly apply that correct information here at the foundation. Today's episode is entitled Private Tax-Exempt Foundations. We're going to get into them. What are they? What's going on? How, you know, what's their validity? How long have they been around? What's the law on these things? So we'll get into that today on this episode of the foundation. I want to start off as we always do by saying all thanks, praises, honors due to the creator. I want to say big up. Shout out to my big brother, the uncle of the conscious community, high frequency radio network creator, big brother Yusuf L. Shout out to the brother, you know, doing big things, spcuniversity.com. If you're looking to do your SPC dance secure party creditor, if you don't know what I'm talking about, show enough. If you do, spcuniversity.com. Check them out. It's a luxurious site. I would also invite you to check out welcome to the foundation.com make sure you sign up for the email list for exclusive content offers and notifications with regards to events that we will be having in the real world you can come check us out our next one is in october in chicago illinois more information will be released in the coming weeks with regards to our next in-person event. But you can get all that information if you sign up for the email list at welcometothefoundation.com. While you're there, check out the PDF section. Free documents that we noticed were being charged for on the Internet. Some having to do with trust others just you know stuff that was being charged for that we we found for free so make sure you check out that pdf section at welcome to the foundation.com also we have the education section at welcome to the foundation.com make sure you get your hands on that foundation trust primer silver 18 documents handpicked by yours truly so l and this is exclusively for you all who are just now getting into you know so-called going private private trust things of that nature
So, you know, there's over 80 different types of trusts. So, the specific one that we deal with, that we operate, that we administer, and that we talk about here at the foundation, the specific trust that is the foundation of our educational trustee training. You want to start wrapping your mind around that, grab that foundation trust primer. And that is in the education section. Also, you can find the Foundation Trust series, part one, part two, part three, PowerPoint presentation, audio, visual, Supreme Court citations, Black's Law Dictionary definitions, all of these in presentation format, part one, you know, we go through the basics and a little more. Part two, more intermediate. Part three, we get into some high finance and some things that you know that you can only take advantage of through trust. So that's the foundation trust series. Part one, part two, part three, all in the education section. Last but not least, we have that passport no social part one. How to get it, part two. How to use it. We had the brother Chris L. come through and just share it with us. And if you're interested in, you know, doing a, a all the way private dance, that's something that you probably want to get your hands on. So all that you can find in the education section at WelcomeToTheFoundation.com. Also, you can find our social media, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can book a consultation and you can make a donation all at the same place. Welcome to the foundation.com. We appreciate all the visitors. I want to say peace to all the listeners, all the live listeners, live callers, internet listeners, (laughs) podcast listeners, archive listeners, MP3 listeners. However, you check out the show, you know, definitely want to say peace to you. Thank you very much. As well as we want to say peace to all the trustees here in private trustee training. We are starting a new session of private trustee training here at the foundation. Make sure you get with us. We're introducing a tiered education structure. It's really going to make the education more affordable for people. It's going to be three different tiers. Make sure you email us, admin at welcometothefoundation.com. We will be pushing that out officially as far as, like, you know, marketing materials, one sheet, things of that nature real soon. So make sure you stay on the lookout for that. And if you've ever, you know, inquired with regards to trustee training here at the foundation and you felt that the donation was prohibitively expensive, I suggest that you, you know, email us. We got some new stuff going on. We've recognized the need. We're looking to fill the gaps in the community. And finally, I want to say peace to anyone that we have in any way interacted with here at the foundation. Whether that's email, well wishes, current events that you sent in, called in to a live show, 
whatever it is you interacted with the social media post, definitely want to say peace to you. So I feel like let's get in, let's get into the show. Whoa, what happened? Oh, there it is. Let's start with these current events, y'all, because, I mean, wow. Wow. So we got CNBC. We'll start off with the CNBC dance. Jewel to cut 30% of its workforce in a bid to slash costs and boost profitability. This is the vaping giant, Jewel. Or Jewel Labs said today it's planning to cut about 30% of its workforce. The layoffs will affect about 250 people, reducing the company's headcount to about 650. This will reduce operating expenses by $225 million, the Jewel spokesperson added. And this is what we pay attention to as, you know, one of the first things that companies do. As we know here at the foundation, when they're looking to cut costs is lay off workers, lay off labor. The easiest and fastest way to cut costs, reduce expenses. CNN Business Macy's sounds the alarm on credit card delinquencies. Macy's is warning of a spike in customers who are falling behind with regards to their credit card payment adding to the evidence of mounting financial stress on consumers. Yep, the iconic department store had anticipated delinquencies, excuse me, would climb following the post-panorama lull, but Macy's management has been caught off guard by the magnitude of the uptick, quote, the speed at which the increase occurred for us and the broader credit card industry was faster than planned. End quote. This is Adrian Mitchell, Macy's chief operating officer and chief financial officer, who added that the problem accelerated in June and July. Quote, I think the credit card revenue is an indication of some of the pressures that we're actually seeing on the consumer. This is about credit card balances. This is about student loans, which we know is going to come into focus in the next month or two, as well as auto loans and mortgages. Macy said it's working with its credit partner, Citibank, to target, quote, higher risk segments to surgically reduce exposure, end quote. Macy shares plunged 14% as the company reiterated its cautious stance on consumers. Resilient consumer spending has helped the U.S. economy avoid a long-rumored recession. So far, at least, unemployment remains historically low, and inflation has cooled, allowing consumer confidence to rebound. Oh, yeah? And that's the thing with these numbers, because the government, they'll release numbers, and then these numbers will be later on, they'll, you know, they'll just, they'll change them. And they call that revised. They revise the numbers. Speaking of, <clears throat> excuse me, Bloomberg, U.S. payrolls were likely 
306,000 lower than previously estimated. U.S. job growth was probably less robust in the year through March than previously reported. According to government data released today, the number of workers on payrolls will likely be revised down 306,000 for March of this year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics preliminary benchmark revision. The downward adjustment was smaller than some economists expected. The final figures are due early next year. Last year, the government jobs report showed hotter than expected payroll growth nearly every month. That persistent strength surprised economists time and again and was a key reason behind steady interest rate hikes by the Federal Reserve. While the preliminary estimate suggests that the strength was somewhat overstated, don't worry about it. It doesn't fundamentally alter the picture of a resilient or robust labor market. Sure, sure, they're laying people off. They're saying that there was more jobs added to the economy every month than there really actually were. I mean, you you do the math. Speaking of math, New York Post, 500,000 jobs could disappear in dramatic revision of U.S. government data. (laughs) U.S. payroll growth in the year through March may have been weaker than previously reported to the tune of half a million jobs, resulting in less robust numbers that could make the Fed think twice about further rate hikes. Last year, the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics employment reports repeatedly shocked economists with larger than expected payroll gains that saw over 10 million job openings for 20 straight months, (laughs) a record-breaking streak that ended in January, and a key reason behind the Federal Reserve's continued interest rate hikes. However, Daniel Silver, an economist at J.P. Morgan Chase, estimates that when the Federal Reserve's agency's preliminary benchmark revision is released, it will be nearly half a million off from the level of total employment reported in the year through March. And they, they're going to officially say 306,000. I don't know where they got the 6,000. Why can't it just be 300,000? 310,000? 307,000. Where did the six come from? We don't know. We'll never know. But does it matter? They say it doesn't. Don't remember about it. Hey, man, listen. You made half a million dollars last year. And then you go talk to the accountant. And I'm like, well, actually, I'd have to realize that. You made 225000 <laughs> Like, man, you would fire that accountant, right? I would. I'd be like, look, man, let's pack your stuff, man. Pack it up. CNBC with retail companies reporting consumer weakness. Kramer says stick with tech. <laughs> Yeah, Kramer, that dude's, that dude's special. Quote, when the consumers tapped out, or at least more frugal, frugal than they used to be, money managers don't wait around. They flee like rats from a sinking ship and park their money in more reliable industries. Right now, that enterprise hardware and software, which are suddenly on fire again. So he's telling you to jump into thing thing, but really, retail companies, are reporting consumer weakness. And they want to over here, oh, consumer weakness, but no, just jump into some tech stocks. Don't worry about it. What does that mean? What is what is consumer weakness? I don't know. Speaking of, consumer weakness, Bloomberg, student loan payments restart will dent the housing market, according to a survey. The resumption 
of U.S. student loan payments in the coming weeks will deal a significant and lasting blow to the housing market, according to a new survey of real estate professionals. Home purchase applications fell to the lowest level in a generation last week, and demand may be depressed even further when the panorama era freeze on student debt ends in October. This is according to a poll conducted by Pulse Economics or Pulse Economics. This is among more than 100 housing experts. Most respondents said that household formation and home ownership rates will be significantly affected for at least a year, and many predicted a longer-lasting impact. About 70% of student loan borrowers, amounting to some 30 million peoples, are 25 to 49 years of age, a time of life when many Americans typically look to set up a new home, perhaps as they get married or have little chitterlings. The source of demand is likely to come under pressure as household budgets are strained by student loan repayments after almost four years of forbearance. More than three-quarters of the survey respondents said that resumption of federal student loan payments will have a negative impact on home ownership lasting more than one year, and 40% said it will last for at least three years. Check this out, though. A National Association of Realtors study last year found that over a 30-year period, a homeowner who purchased a typical single-family home would likely have accumulated $354,000 in home equity in the United States, with almost three-quarters of that coming from price gains. Interesting. Speaking of price gains, 15 U.S. cities with the highest cost of living. Number one, what do you think it is? Manhattan. New York. Number two, Honolulu. Number three, San Fran. Number four, New York, specifically Brooklyn. Number five, Orange County, Cali. Number six, Long Beach. Number seven, Washington, District of Columbia. Number eight, Boston. Number nine, Seattle. Number 10, San Diego. 11, Arlington, Virginia. 12, Oakland, California. 13, Queens, New York. 14, Thesda. Gaithersburg, Gaithersburg, Frederick, I don't know, never heard of that, Maryland, y'all over there got it popping, 15, Nassau County, New York, and of course, the biggest driver of high cost of living is housing expenses, which are 4.8 times the national average in Manhattan, in Honolulu and San Francisco, other cities known for extreme housing costs, they're about three times the national average. There are a couple of reasons why housing is so expensive in Manhattan. For one, New York is home to 300,000, nope, 340,000 millionaires and 58 billionaires, making it the wealthiest city in the world in terms of net worth. Blame it on the rich people, right? What we got next? Where am I at? Reuters, soft landing for global economy re- remains a long shot. You know, Reuters, they you know they don't care. Since the start of the year, prominent forecasters have become more 
confident the United States Federal Reserve and other central banks can engineer a soft landing for the global economy or even avoid a cyclical slowdown altogether. In this view, inflationary pressures will soon dissipate, allowing policymakers to stop raising interest rates and then start to lower them later in 2023 or early 2024, supporting a continued expansion in economic activity. High levels of employment and nominal wage growth will support household and business expenditure in the interim while the global economy pulls through its recent softer patch. A much larger and more labor-intensive service sector will provide continuing momentum while the smaller and more energy-intensive manufacturing sector goes through a cyclical adjustment to clear out excess inventories. While this optimistic scenario is plausible, it remains less likely than the economy entering a significant and extended cyclical slowdown or full-blown recession in the course of this year, 2023. Global industrial output was no higher in December 22 than it had been 12 months earlier, December 21, as spending on merchandise buckled under pressure from high inflation and excess inventories. The manufacturing slowdown is consistent with the onset of previous recessions in 2001, 2008, and 2020, but also mid-cycle slowdowns in 2013 and 2015, after which the economy reaccelerated. The slowdown in global trade and freight has been more severe as manufacturers and distributors have tried to reduce excess inventories after over-ordering as a result of supply chain disruptions in 2020 and 21. Global trade volumes were down almost 3% in December 2022 compared with December 2021, according to the Netherlands Bureau of Economic Policy Analysis. This was February 24th of this year. This abrupt downturn in trade has only ever been associated with the onset of a recession as opposed to a mid-cycle slowdown, and illustrates the severity of the cyclical contraction on the merchandise side of the economy. In the past, the Federal Reserve and other major central banks have usually responded to a temporary soft patch by pushing interest rates or cutting them to support the level of activity. Rates are now expected to rise further and remain higher for longer response to the persistent strength in the job market and service sector inflation. Expectations for the end of 2023 are still trending higher as service sector inflation has continued rising faster than originally anticipated because it is costing more for services. Y'all, you order uh, Uber Eats lately? Y'all, y'all look at that delivery fee lately? Rates traders are convinced increases in scale will reduce very significant slowdown in inflation. Yada, yada, yada. Bottom line, it seems more likely that a household and business spending will buckle under pressure from prices rising faster than wages or persistent inflation in the service sector will force policymakers to tighten monetary conditions with manufacturing activity as collateral damage. Bottom line, it's not looking good, man. The soft landing isn't going to happen. CNBC, blame it on the rich people. Truck purchases are driving up the average cost of car payments. So it's truck purchases. So if you go buy a car and you got a high payment, it's because people keep buying trucks. Does that make sense? 
Some buyers pay over $1,000 a month. That's why we're talking about this one. More than one in four vehicle shoppers in Texas and and Wyoming committed to paying more than $1,000 a month. Crazy. Car shoppers are paying more than ever to finance new vehicles. And pickup trucks are driving up the average cost in at least two decades. In at least two states, during the second quarter, more than one in four shoppers paid more than $1,000 a month, which experts say is due to high volume of large truck purchases in those states. More than one more than one in five shoppers in seven other states, Colorado, Kansas, Louisiana, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, and Utah, are also paying more than $1,000 for their vehicles each month. The average monthly auto payment reached $733, man. What? Man, y'all better put down a, pay, a down payment. Put it down. In the second quarter of the year, according to a specific report done by Edmonds, the average monthly payment for all types of trucks and or, nope, pickup trucks, $913, man. And that's not including insurance. My mans. Let it go. Go get a little, you need a little, what do they call them? Little Ford Rangers, man. Get like an 89 Ford Ranger, man. $913. I'm cool. I don't care how much bread I got, man. Like, wow. Large trucks are the third largest vehicle sales segment in the United States after compact and mid-size SUVs and account for the heaviest finger on the scale when it comes to the average car payment. Sure. $1,000 a month, man. I don't have time for that, man. Y'all, do you, what? Do you you have time for that? I don't have time for that, man. Foot Locker stock plunges 28% as sneaker retailer blames dismal results on cons- consumer softness. Here we go, that consumer softness again. Foot Locker stock plunged by nearly a third after the sneaker retailer reported dismal earnings in the second quarter that it blamed on ongoing consumer softness. In the first quarter, Foot Locker sales fell 9.9% to $1.8 billion, a sharp drop from $2.1 billion. Man. <sighs> Foot Locker shares tumbled 28% to close at $16.64. The New York-based retailer, which has nearly 900 outposts across the United States, slashed its yearly forecast due to the quote, still tough consumer backdrop, end quote, and now expects sales to decline 8% to 9% for the year. It originally predicted sales would be down 65 to 8%. Quote, we did see a softening in trends in July and are adjusting our 2023 outlook to allow us to best compete for price-sensitive consumers, end quote. The footwear chain slashed its yearly earnings outlook to between 2 and $2.5 per share, down from 3 bucks and 35 cents. It originally predicted, which is well below the $3.47 analysts were expecting. It's all bad. Let's wrap this up. Let's, let's take us home. CNN Business, China's economy is in trouble too. China has long been the engine of global growth, but in we, in recent weeks, the economic whoa, the wow, the man, this is whoever wrote this article has this 
a problem. They have a problem. It's economic, is what I'm thinking they're trying to write. Slowdown has alarmed international leaders and investors who are no longer counting on it to be a bulwark against weakness elsewhere. In fact, for the first time in decades, the world's second economy is itself the problem. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index slid into bear market territory last Friday, having fallen more than 20% from its recent peak in January. Last week, the Chinese yuan fell to the lowest level in 16 years, prompting the central bank to make its biggest defense of the currency on record by setting a much higher rate to the dollar than the estimated market bad, uh, the market value. Excuse me. <clears throat> the issue is that after a rapid spurt of activity earlier this year, following the life, nope, the lifting of the panorama choke chokes, growth is stalling. Consumer prices are falling. A real estate crisis is deepening, and exports are in a slump. Unemployment among youth has gotten so bad the government has stopped publishing the data. So you be like, oh, this is the U.S. and China. Germany's economy hasn't looked this week since the start of the panorama. And it's not a panorama. CNN, London. Germany suffered the, steep, the steepest decline in business activity for more than three years this month. According to survey data published today, stoking fears that Europe's biggest economy is falling back into a recession. An initial reading of the country's Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI, which tracks activity in the manufacturing and service sectors, tumbled to 44.7% wow, in August, which is down from 48.5% in July, the slowest or the lowest reading since May 2020 when the country began gradually lifting stringent restrictions a reading below 50 indicates a contraction the survey highlighted a deepening downturn in manufacturing with output falling for the fourth consecutive month activity in services fell for the first time in eight months quote any hope that the service sector might rescue the German economy has evaporated. You remember what I was saying earlier? He's up there. Oh, they're saying the services are, yep. It's not going to happen. Here, it didn't happen in Germany. Where was I at? Instead, the service sector is about to join the recession in manufacturing. This is Cyrus De La Rubia, chief economist at Hamburg Commercial Bank, which publishes a survey of German companies in partnership with S&P Global. The figures add to evidence that Germany's economy is sputtering again after it emerged from a winter recession in the second quarter by the narrowest of margins. Data earlier this month revealed a steeper than expected slowdown in industrial production. In June, driven by a sharp contraction in the country's vast automotive sector. BMWs, Audis, Volkswagens, a lot of that stuff come out of there. A lot of that stuff. A lot of it. But that's it for current events. I appreciate y'all. Today's episode is entitled Private Tax Exempt Foundations. This has been a hot topic lately. 
been getting several emails about this. I have a, several, you know, trustees that are in training here at the foundation. I've been very interested in disgusting, disgusting, discussing private family foundations. So what I'm going to do is let's 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 talk about it. I got some notes. Let me find my notes. Where I got my notes. Thought I had some notes. I had some notes. I mean, I guess I don't need them. But it would help. So, <clears throat> what, what what I'm going to start with is what what is a private family foundation? Um, and you know you, you know typically usually I like to I like to discuss in terms of you know. Well, I mean, official definitions, so to speak. So, like, <clears throat> what does the Internal Revenue Service say a private family foundation is? And I think we should start with that, right? So. The Internal Revenue Service with regards to private foundations. You can find this information. IRS website. IRS.gov. And they don't really say, you know, what it is. They just start going into, you know, types of organizations that qualify for tax exemption. As described in this, you know, subsection 501c3 is a private foundation unless it falls into one of the categories specifically excluded from the definition of that term, which is 50, um, section 509a. In addition, certain non-exempt charitable trusts are also treated as private foundations, non-exempt, so non-tax exempt. But then you say charitable, then you hear trusts. So you. You know, ding, 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 right? Organizations that fall into the excluded categories are institutions such as hospitals or universities, and those that are generally have broad public support or actively function in a supporting relationship to such organizations. So, hospitals, universities, they're not private foundations, but they are a type of tax-exempt structure. So what is a private family foundation? Ultimately, a private family foundation is a type of private foundation set up by a family, funded with the family's assets and often run by family members who can also participate in its charitable grant-making. It can last as long as the family needs it to serve its philanthropic ambitions, and it can adapt as the family's composition and charitable focus changes. A private family foundation is one way to create a framework for giving and the perpetuation of your family legacy. Legacy. That can enable you to establish a philanthropic 
family legacy. It can also provide income tax and estate tax benefits. There are no legal requirements specific to private family foundations. They are simply a type of private foundations governed and funded by family members and must meet all the same IRS guidelines for private foundations. About 50% of private foundations in the United States are family foundations, according to the Council on Foundations. Family members will often serve as members of the foundation's board and will decide how the assets of the foundation can be used to meet the foundation's mission by making grants to charities or individuals. So it's a non-operating grant-making tax-exempt structure. What does that mean? It means that it does not directly offer charitable services or activities to the public. Typically, you're not going to see a foundation, a private family foundation that has a physical location and has employees and is actually with those employees and volunteers executing the charitable mission statement. You're not going to see that. What a private family foundation does is it finds typically organizations, charitable organizations. It finds, seeks out, the board seeks out organizations which activities mirror or are in harmony with the charitable mission of the private family foundation. It's not up to the foundation or the board of the foundation to ensure that the funds are used for a charitable purpose. What is done is there is a grant offered and always always accepted to a charitable entity. So, for example, part of your mission statement for your private family foundation is the assistance with regards to emergency and disaster relief. Or to assist low-income families and individuals during times of homelessness or financial struggle. It's, it's, it would be very, very, very natural for a private foundation to offer a grant or for this set for such a private foundation to offer a grant to say the American Red Cross. This way the American Red Cross it will accept the the grant and because of its charitable mission and its internal revenue service requirements it must utilize that grant or those grant funds for a charitable purpose. 
it's very easy. It's, you know, a lot of people think of private family foundations like, man, that's a lot. You know, I don't want to run a charity. Well, in essence, you don't, essentially. It's a private family foundation. What we do is through site visits and through investigation, we collaborate with other operating charities and then to offer them grants pretty much the extent of it and we can do it to individuals as well but typically the foundation will have to create a program with guidelines and you know contracts and things of that nature to ensure that the individual is utilizing those funds for the specific charitable purpose that they've been granted for Whereas personally, as an administrator of a private family foundation, I don't like to do that. It's a lot of work, a lot of time. It's much more simple for us to offer a grant to another operating charitable entity. It could be a public, it could be private, doesn't matter. Funding. A private foundation can be established and funded on an ongoing basis with assets that can include cash, public, publicly traded securities, private stock, real estate, or other family-controlled assets. The foundation can be managed by the family or by a professional manager who may be known as an operating partner or a chief operations officer. A family governance system spells out who participates in philanthropic discussions, expectations for time commitments to the foundation, grant recommendation, guidelines, instructions for adding goals and ways to educate family members about the mission as they become old enough to participate. So how did how did how did foundations get on my radar? Let's talk about that. So some of you know my my story, you know. Um <clears throat> several things transitioned into music, was overseas. Didn't was not interested in paying, you know, US income taxes on pounds and euros was introduced to trust on a yacht the size of an apartment building in the south of France, Cannes to be specific, and had to do extensive, 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 extensive study, research, and application to get to the point where I am right now. And one of the most important facts I came across in that study was a an investigation <clears throat> by 
Congress. It was a congressional created commission. Um, and it was created or impaneled to investigate uh, the role of at the time newly created non-governmental organizations they called them or private foundations private family foundations and this was in 1913 so this was 110 years ago that's how long these foundations have been around and they were along around much longer than 110 years it was just 110 years is when there was a congressional investigation and you know congressional investigations public investigations uh public hearings court cases so on and so forth you know help people like me to find knowledge and information that i would not otherwise find the commission took testimony from different people um, in the know, different people in um, high stations in government, in cities and, you know, law, so on and so forth. And they did this for a year. And after this year of testimony, the commission concluded, and I'm about to quote this, the domination of men in whose hands the final control of a large part of American industry rests is not limited to their employees. So they're talking about the the industrials, these these titans of industries, the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Mellons. But this domination is rapidly being extended to control the education and social services of the nation. The Giant Foundation exercises enormous power through direct use of its funds, free of any statutory entanglements, so that they can be directly precisely or directed precisely to the levers of the situation. This power, however, is substantially increased by building collateral alliances which insulate it from criticism and scrutiny. Free of any statutory entanglements. That's the power of a private family foundation. Now, of course, these organizations or these structures are private and they are tax exempt. Now, What are the benefits of private family foundation? Now, I speak on the benefit with regards to family legacy, you know, the perpetuation of your family character, your family values, and your family legacy. Now, you've been to hospitals and universities, you've seen the donor wall. And you've seen those names on the wall, and it says such and such family trust, such and such family foundations. These are um, foundations that are, yes, they are assisting 
these educational and medical centers, but they're assisting them through endowments and, you know, they're bringing perpetual money back to their estates. You should, you should look up what, what an endowment is and comprehend how the rich get richer just a little bit more. So what are the benefits? The first benefit, hands down, is um, an individual can donate up to 30% of their adjusted gross income to a private family foundation or a private foundation and receive a charitable deduction on their income taxes. A trust, a complex trust, to be specific, If you pay attention to the foundation over the years, you understand what I'm talking about. A complex trust can donate 100% of its taxable income to a private charity. I'm just going to say that. I'm not even going to elaborate. Now, the benefits are enormous. You have site visits. You have an annual family retreat. A site visit is to um, to arrive at a location, a specific organization that um, the foundation may offer a grant. The board or those sent by the board are to determine whether this is a good candidate to receive a grant from the foundation. Do they fall in line with the mission statement? Are there, you know, their practices? Are they good people? So on and so forth. That site visit is an expense to the foundation. Use your imagination. Even if the representative or the board determines not to offer a grant to that particular organization, it is still an expense. The entire trip, hotels, cars, also, there's a family retreat. There's an annual family retreat. All I will say is our last family annual retreat, we went to the Cayman Islands. Not only are we reducing our taxable income legally, getting charitable deductions on individual corporate trust sides, perpetuating our family legacy, but also adding Family experiences, family bonding opportunities, family reunification exercises. Now, being that the Family Foundation is tax exempt, it can make income off investments tax free. A loan is an investment. If an organization offers a loan, that is an investment because it is going to receive profit by the way of interest. Do you hear what I'm saying? So the, the the foundation may have funds available. It may loan those funds out at interest. Loan is not income. It's not taxable. And the interest can be written off when you pay the loan back. Like taking money out of one pocket and putting it in the other. Now, the biggest thing that you need to pay attention to is the 5% expenditure clause, which means of all of the funds that the foundation receives within an annual year, 
I just said year, year, didn't I? Within within a calendar year, 5% of it must be expensed, not donated, not used for charitable purposes, must be expensed. There really isn't any obligation to participate in any charitable activity. The obligation is to expense. Tax prep expense comes out of the 5% distribution requirement as well as leases, any uh, phones that the foundation pays for, if it leases an office space, if it has a vehicle, if it owns property, all that uh, comes out of the 5%. Specifically, um, the deduction can carry over for five years. Listen to what I'm saying. There's max out deductions. They'll say, you know, you make $100,000 a year, right? So your adjusted gross, let's say your adjusted gross income is $100,000 a year. And I'm not giving legal advice. I'm not an attorney. I'm not, none of this is legal advice. Can be construed through legal advice. You need to hire an attorney or lawyer. You need to go get them people. Let's just say the AGI is $100,000. And let's say that there's a donation of 30%. So that reduces the taxable income to $70,000. A lot of time that puts you in a whole different tax bracket. But now that 30% or $30,000 is in the checking account of the private family foundation. You are allowed a charitable deduction on your taxes. Let's say that's that's it. The entire year, $30,000. And what's uh, 5% of 30, that would be 1,500 bucks. You got to expense 1,500 bucks. You have to have fifteen hundred dollars in expenses. The rest can just sit there. Two thousand, whoop, twenty-eight thousand five hundred dollars just sitting there. Think about what I'm talking about. Think about what I'm talking about. Think about what I'm talking about. The 5% is based on the value of all investment assets over the year. So that $28,500 the next year, that's not even included. It's 5% of whatever is received in that next year. The 28500 is chilling. Do you hear what I'm saying? For dues. Of a foundation for dues. One, do receive donations to the foundation. Easy, right? Two, do manage the assets of the foundation. Easy, right? Don't commingle, don't self deal. Number three, do honor the 5% payout rule. Simple. Number four, do comply with all filing requirements. You just got to file the 990 PF and you got to expense 5%. People think that this is. Requires rocket science and a bunch, man, the things that we talk ourselves out of. It's amazing. Four don'ts. Number one, don't self-deal. Number three, don't make bad or jeopardizing investments. Why would you offer a loan at 2% when the going rate for loans at that value is seven? That's a bad or jeopardizing investment. Oops. Number three, don't. Create or maintain excess business holdings. Number four, don't make any taxable expenditures. 
What qualifies as the 5% payout? Number one, you got grants to charities and non-charities for charitable purposes. Two, all reasonable administrative expenses necessary for the conduct of the charitable uh, activities of the foundation. Excuse me. And number three, costs of all charitable activities, i.e. direct expenses, salaries, benefits, any trustee fees, travel, rent, phones, consulting fees, etc. I cannot describe or explain how beneficial not only being properly set up with your business trust, your asset trust, your family trust, but also having a private family foundation. That is the end of it. That's that's you have the estate and the structures that multimillionaires have, that billionaires have. You have the same structure that the 62nd Congress spoke about when they said that they were operating free of any statutory entanglements. Because it's a trust, it's a contract, it's it's a trust. What is a private fam- family foundation? We can read all these classic and classy definitions that who it's like a uh, what is it a, a a writing assignment in 11th grade. But the truth of the matter is, what is a private family foundation? It is a private trust in contract form that has a charitable purpose. Its purpose is charitable. Has a board of trustees. It has a governing instrument. It does not owe its existence to stat, uh, state statute. It is not governed by state statute, free of statutory entanglements. Now, the reason that I speak with such conviction when it comes to private complex, contractual trust, private family foundations, think the re- because this is what I've done for almost a, for like a decade, man. Because I've dealt with the fear. I've worked through it. I've sat at a bank to open a trust checking account, freaking out on the inside with my poker face on. I've gotten, you know, uh, letters from the Internal Revenue Service and responded to them and was successful and used that experience and implemented it into the trustee training here at the foundation. And I can honestly say that I have not heard from one trustee that has gone through trustee training in the past eight years that has ever been audited by the Internal Revenue Service. I was audited, so you don't have to be. And it was so easy. You just got to get over the fear. The only thing holding you back from establishing your private estate in the same manner of the millionaires, billionaires, and trillionaires of this world is your fear and your lack of the willingness to act because honestly I can only say so many things on the public platforms and 
You got to understand, in a lot of situations, I can't say anything because I'm under non-disclosure. And why am I going to put my business in the streets? But if you can read between the lines, you get it. How long, how long have you been hearing this voice on High Frequency Radio Network? It's been more than five years. It's been more than three years. It's been more than four years. It's been more than seven years. That says something. Number two. With every episode, I'm looking to bring you solid, actionable information. And what does it mean when a man sits down every single week for <laughs> for like eight years and speaks on almost the same subject? Trust. Why? Why is this man doing this? What What could there be that I'm not thinking of, that I'm not comprehending, that I'm not connecting? That this man gets on here almost every single week consistently and talks somehow about trust. You know, you can you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. I say you can give a man a business, but you can't make him think. And I just I just can't get over. How much exists just under the surface when it comes to you got the public side, corporations, LLCs, you know, the state government, and you got the private side, contract, unalienable rights, true freedom. Whereas the public gets liberties. And permission. And at the end of the day, if the government and the IRS didn't give you life, why do they have the right to tax the exchange of it? That's what did it for me. And after that, it was a rap rizzle. So. If you'd like to learn more about Private Family Foundations, make sure you email us, admin at welcometothefoundation.com. I know, you know, there were some things that I didn't say, and there's some things that I did say that maybe didn't, you know, just play the show over and over again. Do your research. Do your studies. Look this stuff up. Check out official sources. Get away from the gurus, y'all. And even such, get away from me. Hear what I have to say and then double check it. I could be crazy. I'm like the craziest dude. It's like crazy. It's like the schizo. Just out of here. And just talking with, with conviction. Why? Because in my mind I believe it. Plus I believe purple dragons fly around on Tuesdays. So, you know, trust but verify. But look, you only have one life to live. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. What are you missing? And are you cool with it? I'm not. 
I'm not. So admin at welcome to the foundation.com. I trust you learn something, you know what I mean? Look, these, these look, look, private trust, private foundation and to the world blow up. Do you understand the difference in life and lifestyle when you get your stuff together and you're consistent and dedicated when it's not a point of, do you have to know it? I got to know this. I need to know, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that has to do all the research. Look, man, study long you study wrong sometimes you got to get out there and try it because i could ride a bike past you 400 times popping wheelies and everything only hops doing some cold bmx stuff and you can see it and study it every time 100 times in a row it don't mean nothing until you jump up on there and do it. You was here and talk, well, you know, I think and then you got to do this. Like, this, you a commentator. Are you, you, you a commentator of your own life. You don't even know what you're missing. I'm talking business trust, asset trust, family trust, private family foundation, and an LLC. Oh, man. But uh, you one of them people that think it's easier to go to work every day, huh? It's hard to do a business. It's it's hard to start your own business and, and to make it successful. Man, it's hard to get up every day and go to work, man. Six o'clock, sitting in the traffic, people cutting you off, giving you the finger, honking at you and stuff. Merge in your lane and go slow. Three lanes of traffic. People driving side by side, same speed limit. You can't even get around them. You got to do some illegal. That's hard. Having to deal with these people, certain customers, clients, certain bosses, supervisors, that's hard. And then having to get back to the crib and rush hour again, being away from my family, not being able to do what I want to do during, during the day, that's hard. That's hard. You got to really take into consideration and really contemplate what is hard. And are you avoiding hard so you can stay on the hardest? I would say, you know, you may want to look at things in a different way. Maybe things are difficult, but difficult doesn't mean impossible. You're going to fail. So what? Quit being scared. What's the dude's name? Edison? Franklin. Which one of them dudes built the light bulb? Edison, I think, right? <clears throat> he said he failed like a thousand times. He said he didn't fail a thousand times. He learned how not to uh, make a light bulb. It's experience. Okay, I'm not going to do that again. So I'm going to try something different. These are the things that you need to unlock. If you really truly want to be free, you want to be private. You want to be wealthy? You want to reestablish your private estate and your private wealth? You want to be a pillar of your family moving forward? Three generations later, you know, the trustees go into a room to meet as a board of trustees of the, of the estate of your family, and they got a picture of you on the wall.
family history, family legacy. You know, they do uh, they do stuff like uh, the history of a corporation and stuff. I saw um, my girl sent me, I saw uh, it was like a video transition and pictures of BMW cars from like the first one to the most recent one. It was like a montage and stuff. You got something like that for your family? These things to consider. These are the things that I think about every day. What are we going to leave behind? And when you start thinking about that, you have to start thinking outside of yourself and not just for self. And I will tell you this, you having problems with private trust, you having problems going private because you're selfish, probably. You're selfish. Because it's not just for you. Going private isn't just for you. Going private is for the family. You can be a part of an organization, someone else's company, someone else's family business. You're just an employee. You don't own nothing. Or you can create your own. Be pivotal and create your own. Try it, man. You don't know. Listen, you can make the business, right, and get it started. Be struggling for like five years. And then your little niece or nephew come along and help you blow the business up because it's there. Because you made it already. You don't know what it's going to be. You don't know what's going to happen. What are you doing? But ultimately, do yourself a favor. Look into these structures. Look into what you can accomplish with these structures. Look into the wealthy in this country, the wealthy in the world. What what are they doing? Do what the wealthy do. When in Rome, I guess, right? I just want the best for y'all. I know what this is, and I'm just trying to help you. Trying to help you reach the level of luxurianism. So with that being said, I appreciate y'all checking out the show. I hope you learned something. I hope this sparked your mind. And gave you a specific impetus and or drive to look into this, to reestablish your private estate, to establish your family legacy. What is it going to be? What is it going to mean? What is your family going to represent? You can mold that right now, just like you can mold a contract. So I look forward to hearing from you. Email me, admin at welcome to the foundation.com. As I said, we have trustee training tiers. So we got we got different levels now. You know, we heard y'all. We appreciate y'all. Email us. It's a lot more affordable. We got something for everybody. Also, we have the event coming up in October. It will be in Chicago. There will be more information released as we get closer to the date. Make sure you sign up for the email list at welcometothefoundation.com. Make sure you check out the shows and stay tuned. And with that being said, I appreciate y'all checking out the show. Private Tax Exempt Foundations. Hopefully, I hit this at an angle that kind of maybe hits, you know, hit it different. 
You know, this isn't the first time I've spoken on foundations on the foundation. <laughs> and I, I'm sure it won't be the last. So, y'all enjoy yourself. Have a luxurious day. An ever more luxurious week. Make sure you believe in yourself. Believe, begin, become. Trust me. It's that simple. Every day. Y'all take care of yourself. Enjoy yourself. Make sure you say 10 things that you're thankful for before you go to sleep tonight and every night. It is very important. And I will catch you next week. The same spot. Same time. The hottest radio network on the planet. High frequency radio network. I'm your host, So L. Seeker of Truth L. Speaker of Truth L. And it has been my absolute luxurious pleasure. Y'all have a a great week. I believe in you. Go get it. I'll catch y'all next week. Peace to the gods. Doing this thing all the way live. High frequency radio.